Welcome! You are listening to the Overseas Life Redesign Podcast, where you'll hear fun, relaxed, and inspirational interviews with people who are really living the dream. I'm Dawn Fleming, an attorney-turned-alchemist and your host for the show, coming to you from the tropical island paradise of Isla Mujeres, Mexico. This show was created for courageous souls willing to step out of their comfort zone and design a new way of life. You'll gain inspired midlife wisdom from those who have done it as we share experiences, strategies, and offer practical steps you can take to redesign your life overseas. Listen, and you'll believe if you can dream it, you can achieve it. So today I am actually thrilled to do an interview with Karen Rosenberg. She is somebody that has been on my list for some time to speak with because she's doing such amazing work here in Isla Mujeres. And th- thank you so much, Karen, for taking the time out to chat yeah. with me a little bit. I really sure. <laughs> awesome. So um, I like to kind of start at the beginning and, and uh, just give me a little bit of, of uh, backstory. I know you've owned a, a home here on the island for many years and kind of just tell me your uh, introduction to Eastman Mujeres. Sure. So um, I came down here first about ooh, 25 years ago um, with a good friend uh, and we were thinking about doing women's retreats, um, divine feminine goddess kinds of retreats with yoga. And once we laid our feet on Isla Mujeres, Isle of Women, we knew that this was the place we had to bring women for healing and personal growth and set intentions for their lives. Um, probably most of you know that the, god- the moon goddess, Mayan moon goddess, Ishelle had her temple on the South Point. So that was a place where we could create ceremony um, for women coming to the retreat. So we started the retreats um, about 24 years ago. Um, and I, we did them at Nabalam, where um, every year we would be there, beautiful, beautiful hotel on North Beach. Um, and worked with uh, Lisa Hernandez, who is a yoga teacher uh, and owned Elements of the Island. Uh, So we became very close and um, eventually we bought her house, Lisa and Cesar, her husband, who's Peruvian, Lisa's Austrian, but Mexican. And so they could buy hundred acres in the Yucatan and start a permaculture farm. Wow, cool. Yeah, right outside of Valladolid. Um, so we've owned the house for about 15 years, since 2007, and uh, we would come down uh, a few weeks every year, um, mostly rented it out uh, to pay off the mortgage, and um, it has finally paid off, and my husband retired, and because of COVID, uh, the silver lining of COVID, if there is one, is that uh, under my license as a licensed independent social worker, I can have my computer anywhere and see my patients virtually anywhere as long as I keep up my license and see Ohio patients. So this is the first year we've been here five months um, and we're loving it. Good for you. Wow. I I know uh, we've been doing Tai Chi together and um, you seem so happy and um, you're, where is, is home for you? Is that something? So I grew up in New York. 
New York. My home for the last 40 years has been Cleveland, Ohio, okay. um, where we raised our three boys. And um, they, they're also very connected to Isla because they were little, little guys when I started to work here. And so both of them have had a connection to Isla. Caleb worked at um, the La Gloria English School that taught English to the Mayan kids one summer and lived down here. And Noah comes down every couple of months and actually makes Google business pages for all the taco stands. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got a whole, but he just stops them and does a whole Google business page and uploads it and takes pictures and all that. So, and, and my husband has started the Sunday cleanup around the Selena. Um, yeah, so we're all pretty involved in what we call Tikkun Olam, which is uh, repairing the world. So it's a Hebrew phrase, and it's repairing the world, and that's um, kind of what we've done with our lives. Boy, do we need more of that? Yeah, um, kudos to you. Kudos yeah, to you. some amazing work. So, um, so the uh, retreats are are a thing of the past. Is that kind of in the room? Well, they're on, they're on hold because of COVID. COVID. Um, so, but we're planning, we just set the intention, Lisa was here from by the lead last week, uh, to do another one in Bali. Ah. Which, yeah, we've done them in Peru, Bali, Crete, Costa Rica, three places in Peru, in, I'm sorry, in Mexico, Laguna Bacalar, Tulum in here. So we're going to do one in Bali in June, 2023. Um, if, you know, the quarantine is lifted in Bali and all is okay. Sure. Well, hopefully by then, this will all be in the rear view mirror. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Great. Well, I really want to uh, dig into um, the diabetes uh, clinic that you launched. Kind of walk me through how that all came to be. Okay. Um, you know, it's pretty amazing. It kind of unfolded or got created um, because of a, of a, of a tragedy. Um, one of the um, workers at Nabalam that I was pretty close to died in his mid-30s um, from complications of diabetes, and he didn't know he was diabetic. And at the same time, one of the founding women in the Bee Co-op, I also do all the social, social media for the Bee Co-op, their Facebook and Instagram and website, and I've been doing that for over 20 years. She ended up in a diabetic coma in Cancun. And so I, I know, I knew some about diabetes because I had gestational diabetes. Um, and later on as 80% of women who have gestational diabetes became type two diabetic. Um, I, I was able to change my lifestyle, lose 40 pounds and I'm no longer diabetic. So for you. yeah. So, you know, type two diabetes is um, really processed food disease. And with a change in lifestyle and nutrition and exercise and choices, healthy choices, um, most people with type 2 diabetes can, um, you know, can eliminate the illness. So, but back, you know, years ago, I, about 15 years ago, I interviewed some of the public health doctors on the island at the Salud Publica, and they shared that um, the indigenous people here are loaded with the gene pool for diabetes, just like our um, Native uh, people, our Indigenous people in the States and Canada also. And um, diet is terrible, lots of um, carbs and lots of processed food. And the biggest culprit, of course, is Coca-Cola, um, which has a distribution 
uh, center on the island. Um, so I thought, well, we can do something about this because no one had meters and strips. And diabetes is really easy to manage if you have the right tools. Um, so I kind of did my research and wrote a proposal, got some funding from colleagues up north and started this diabetes clinic about 13 years ago. Um, very small, the first year it was just in the bead co-op. It was just the women in the bead co-op and their families. Um, and helping me were a couple of other um, non-Mexicans uh, who are EMTs, paramedics, nurses, uh, nutritionists. And then we moved the next year to uh, La Escuela en La Gloria, Inglés, to the, to the English school for a bigger space. And we did it there for a couple of years. And then we moved <clears throat> to the Cruz Roja. Um, we really you know, were accepted by the community. And it was there that I met Giovanni uh, Avalos de la O, who was an EMT paramedic. And um, he uh, became co-director of the clinic and really has done a phenomenal job um, at helping to make it grow here. Um, so then we had it at um, CRIM, the rehab hospital. Another year we had it at the community hospital. Um, the last couple of years, we had it at DIF, um, the, the welfare, you know, families and children's services on Isla Mujeres. Um, and then <clears throat> COVID hit. So we couldn't have big clinics. We would have about 500 people at each wow. time. Yeah, people would line up like at, uh, you know, five in the morning. Um, and we also would do one on the mainland, Isla Mujeres, in Rancho Viejo. Um, which is a really low-income community and tons of diabetes. So um, people would would walk in. I mean, we had taxi drivers that took brought amputees, and we'd say, get tested, and they'd say, no, we're fine, and they would let, let us test them, and their blood sugars were 400. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Wow. So really high, and I did more research, and it's a pretty epidemic um, in Mexico, Um Diabetes. Not just here, just, just as a whole. All of Mexico. Yeah. Um, diabetes is the primary cause of death for women. Um, this is before COVID happened. And the second uh, cause, second highest cause of death for men after heart disease. Um, so it's huge. And, um, you know, we're doing, you know, our little part. So yeah. what, what let, the, let me stop you for a second. So it, let me just make sure that, I, that I'm clear about this. So you don't have a background in medicine or nursing or any of that. You just had your own personal experience with diabetes and then had this personal experience with the loss of a friend. And you just got curious about what was going on. And, and that's really how it all started. And the reason that I want to highlight this is because a lot of times I, I hear this story over and over again, like, you know, the um, English school that was started by uh, one of the residents here, she had no background in education or language or anything. It was just seeing a need in the community and responding to that. And I think a lot of times 
I think, you know, people think, oh, well, I, I'm not qualified to do that. I mean, you, you've started this hugely impactful clinic with (laughs) really just a curiosity and a desire to help. Is that, is that fair? Well, not exactly. So I'm a social worker. I'm a licensed social worker and I worked in many years for many years in healthcare social work. Okay. So when you, when you work on a team, you know, in a hospital and healthcare, you certainly see diabetics, um, you know, show up. So I, I did have a personal connection being gestationally diabetic, but um, also as a professional social worker, also knew somewhat, some about diabetes in terms of working in healthcare. Um, okay. But it, w- it was fairly minimal. And you're right, it's, it's kind of like um, this, this loss really impacted me. And I was curious. Um, and there's, there's no data. We're trying, we have a database that we're starting now that we have a Facebook page. So when, when patient, patients message us to be part of the clinic and, and receive supplies, they need to fill out a questionnaire. And it asks questions like, um, you know, family history, are you type one or type two? Most people here are type two. Um, you know, what medicine are you on? What other um, comorbidities do you have? You know, what other illnesses do you have? So we're starting to collect data. And we're also talking a lot with the doctors that work in primary care and in the hospital. And it seems that about 60% of patients that present, for instance, at the community hospital test uh for diabetes, test positive for diabetes with a finger stick. You know, they, they they're not coming in for diabetes. They're just no. there for other yeah, things. Maybe they broke, broke a foot or, um, you know, have other medical issues going on. There is a chronic disease department at the hospital. Yeah, but they're routinely tested. Now, now we give them uh, meters and strips. So not only do we supply all of our patients with meters, strips, lancets, um, we also provide those diabetes supplies to the community hospital. They don't have it. Um, the Salud Publica, the public health clinics, um, uh, some of the private docs on the island, some of the community docs on the island, so that every patient that they see, now it's part of their protocol to do a simple blood test to see what their blood sugars are. Well, it's 60%. I mean, yeah, you'd almost have to have that be right. very high. And of course, there's, you know, it, it's it, with other diseases, um, you know, there's a high rate of comorbidity. Um, one of the other issues that I'm sure you're aware of is, is um, people on East Side, there's a high rate of alcoholism. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, alcohol breaks down to sugar. So that really impacts diabetes too. Um, so, yeah, so of those 60%, um, we don't have like a hard data, so I'm reluctant to give a statistic, but let me just say many of those people didn't know they had diabetes. So there's a lot of undiagnosed type 2 diabetics walking around Isla that are not identified and not getting treatment, and so they're not changing their lifestyle. Yeah. Um, so, oh, go ahead. There's a lot, uh, if you Google, there's a lot about um, Coca-Cola and the impact of sugary drinks on the healthcare of Mexicans. Um, There's a movie that came out called El Susto. There's articles, even the government of Mexico actually starting a couple of years ago, tithes 
Coca-Cola and uses that money in public health initiatives because really, you know, it's, it's a big culprit. Um, as you know, nobody can drink water. So um, sometimes people start off with Coca-Cola in the morning for breakfast. Um, yes. They give Coca-Cola to babies in bottles. Um, there's some mythology around uh, Coca-Cola, Coca having medicinal um, ingredients, you know, in, in the Mayan community. So there's that piece too. Um, so as much as we can, we try and educate people. Um, we have some great um, um, kind of tangibles where we have like a Coca-Cola bottle and then an empty one with how much sugar and it's oh yeah that's that's very yeah. effective those types yeah. of so people can see that before we go on that i just want to um kind of clarify so your clinics you were talking about with 500 people showing up walk me through what that looks like what how uh you you do the the intake uh questionnaire gather the data do the testing Right. So, so of course, it's on hold because of COVID. Sure. But um, we, we would, uh, people would register. Um, so we have a bit of a database. And then we would triage people. So we had lined up um, EMTs and nurses and uh, nutritional counselors, nutritionists. Um, sometimes, some years we had doctors with us, um, social workers. And people would get tested first. And then if their blood sugars were not in the normal range, which now is between 80 and 100, used to be 80 and 120, but it's recently changed 80 and 100, then you got referred, you got triaged to um, a nutritional counselor. And then she kind of taught you about what foods, you know, to stay away from and what foods are better to eat. Um, and then after that, you went to a diabetes educator usually a nurse or an EMT or, met, or paramedic or social worker who then taught you how to use the meter and strips and how to manage your own diabetes by doing your blood sugars, fasting in the morning and two hours after a meal. Um, some of the patients are diagnosed and so they're on insulin or pills. And so that's an important piece of information. Um, they really need to test before they figure out how much insulin to give themselves each day. Sure. Um, and nobody, these simple meters and strips are not available. They're very costly and they're just not available to local people who make 130 pesos a day, which is $6. So are they, do you supply the meters and yes. strips to those yes. that need them then? Wow. Everything's at no cost. We have distributed probably, probably over the 13 years, we've seen more than 5,000 people. And- yeah. Everybody has meters. And then during COVID, we opened up a little office um, here in La Colonias, and people have to make an appointment, and either Giovanni or I see them, and uh, mostly Giovanni because he's here full time. And this is all volunteer, of course, for both of us. Um, and then he does what we used to do in the big clinic in terms of triage, only he does it with individual patients at a time that come in. You know, and oftentimes because there's family history, you know, Abuela has it and then the kids have it and then the grandkids have it. So, you know, sometimes we'll give one meter to the family, but enough strips for everybody. Gotcha. Um, if they live together. Um, and, and all the meters and strips are bought with money <clears throat> that I do a, every year I do a fundraiser 
a raffle or an auction or something to raise money to buy the strips and meters because they're expensive. We'll be back in a moment. Isla Mujeres is a Caribbean jewel off the coast of Cancun. Castellito del Caribe warmly invites you to enjoy our spectacular oceanfront villa located in the heart of El Centro and a short walk to Playa Norte, which is ranked one of the top 10 beaches in the world. With an ocean view of crystal clear turquoise waters overlooking both the Caribbean and Cancun city skyline, we offer a fabulous location for you to enjoy all the peace and tranquility you're looking for on vacation, while also taking in all the excitement the island has to offer, with activities either in walking distance or a golf cart day excursion away. Please visit castellitocaribe.com www.castellito caribe.com We look forward to seeing you soon. Is it time to go? Are you starving for adventure and new experiences? Ready to lower your living costs and upgrade your quality of life? Do you long for the freedom to live anywhere with the economic satisfaction of earning in paradise? Imagine waking up in paradise every day saying, pinch me, is this real? You can live a happier, healthier, and more joyful life. Don't know where to start? Then grab our free paradise checklist to begin dreaming again and start defining your paradise. It's waiting for you at paradisechecklist.com. Welcome back to the Overseas Life Redesign podcast. Thank you so much for being here. And we invite you to subscribe if you like what you hear. I know some of the other folks on the island with nonprofits have foundations or or, uh, 501c3s in the United States. Is that the case with your organization? No, we made a very um, conscious decision not to be a nonprofit in the United States, but instead we are a legal nonprofit in Mexico. Okay. So what that means is, you know, your, your donation is not tax deductible, deductible, although these days with the changes in tax laws, it doesn't. True. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't, yeah. But I, I'm really very committed as a social worker to work collaboratively with our Mexican partners, doctors, nurses, EMTs, nutritionists, and, and make this part of their culture and their society. Uh, and not have it be a U.S. foreign kind of, uh, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Right. So we're an ASE in Spanish, so Association Civil. There's okay. really, I think, only one or two other organizations on Asia that are legal nonprofits. And it was, you know, cost money and, and uh, a lot of paperwork and we have an accountant and all that kind of stuff. But sure. we are a legal Mexican nonprofit. But you, I assume, are able to take donations from folks that are not in Mexico. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. So maybe um, you'll give me a link so I can put that in the, the show notes if people... Yeah, know. yeah. What we always, we, we have a good supply of meters. There's a couple organizations in the United States. One's called Medwish, and they repurpose things, or we buy them, or, you know, some of our nutritionists are able to get them from the pharmaceutical companies. But we can't get strips. Um, and strips are very expensive. They're about $40 for 70 strips. Wow. Yeah. Which if you test, you know, 
a few times a week doesn't last very long. Or if you have multiple family members that are testing, right? You're yeah. going to go through those pretty quickly. So I can, yeah, so I can send you down a link. You can buy them on Amazon. We work with one brand now because in the beginning we had whatever people donated, but it got too confusing to keep track of all the different brands um, and strips because the way the pharmaceutical companies are set up, each meter needs their own brand strip. There's no universal strip. Isn't that something? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's something. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so the cultural piece that I think is really interesting is, you know, I go to a lot of parties or get togethers, well, certainly before COVID. And usually the only thing that's offered to drink is Coca-Cola. And um, if you see kind of a working class guy walking home from work at the end of a long day, he's a cement worker in Albanyale or a towel worker, or he works downtown in the, in the tourist industry, he'll have, you know, two liters of Coca-Cola under his arms and coming home for, um, for the big dinner. Um, and it's, it, it's kind of a cultural thing that shows that he's a good provider. Yes, I've heard that. Yeah, having water under his arms is, you know, not a big deal, but providing Coca-Cola means that he's a really good provider. So it's it's hard to um, address that cultural piece. The other thing is that men are reluctant, more reluctant than women to come to the clinic. We've had more success recently um, now that it's, you know, private, one patient at a time. But, sure. um, you know, a lot of people have the mythology that if you get diagnosed with diabetes, it's terminal. Um, that's not true. You can reverse the disease 100% um, with good nutrition and exercise and weight loss. Um, but so they don't want the stigma. Um, and there's also some sexual side effects from diabetes for men. And sure. so they don't want that stigma. Um, so it's harder to get men in there, but um, that's changing. So you're fighting some some myths along the way as well. Yeah, uh, yeah I know. We talked about this briefly in uh, when we were at Tai Chi one day, and and uh, I think I might have mentioned my undergraduate degree was in anthropology. So I'm really fascinated by cultural uh, mores and and practices and so forth. And and when you said that about Coca Cola being a part of the culture, and I'm like, well, wait a minute, no, this culture is thousands of years old. Like Coca Cola is a relatively newcomer to the party. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, do you know like how did was it just marketing that, that it became so entrenched and, yeah. and, and caused this representation of, of, you know, being a provider? What, what's your thoughts on that? Well, um, there's actually a lot of articles written about this. Okay. Um, if, if you Google Coca-Cola in Mexico, you know, uh, Mexico is a big producer of Coca-Cola. I don't know if you remember that, you know, the Coca-Cola here was made with, uh, sugar cane and so it tasted differently and um is that still the case is it uh, you know what i'm not exactly sure about that i think that's changed over time um a lot of people are employed in the industry you know so there's that piece too um and it's um it's part of the culture um and and it really impacts disease um so obviously you know hundreds of years ago that, you know, no, I mean, it wasn't the case, right. right. I mean, I will make um, a big jug of uh, Jamaica from Mm -hmm. 
from hibiscus flowers, beautiful natural tea that's a natural diuretic, has a lot of vitamin C. Um, and I will serve it or bring it to a gathering. And usually the jug stays pretty full. Everybody wants Coca-Cola. So it's, you know, it's become kind of a cultural preference. So how do you fight that, Karen? How, how are you, I mean, they're, they're literally drinking poison and you show them a graphic depiction of that, like sugar is bad. It can kill you, right? You can go into a diabetic coma or worse. This is what you're drinking and here's what's in it. I mean, uh, even doing that, it doesn't sound like that's terribly impactful or, or is it? Yeah, go ahead and walk us through here. Yeah, as I said, it's brilliant and powerful. It's something every person on the planet needs to see. Please share. So look at the right. That's a a can of Coca-Cola. And look at how much sugar is in it. The next is, you know, iced tea with sugar. Sweetened iced tea. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The next is Red Bull. Mm -hmm. The next is a pineapple juice. Um, The next is another kind of juice. Juice Then, Yeah, another. And then I think that's. I can't chocolate milk, maybe. Yeah. Chocolate milk. And then of course there's water water. at the end. Yeah. So this is a great visual. Um, You know, you, we, we encourage people to get Coca-Cola light if they really need to have Coca-Cola because you know, that has, uh, doesn't have sugar in it. So you still got the Coca-Cola, but not the sugar. Um, You know, the other thing is there's just um, in terms of nutrition, like I remember one year doing a clinic and we had so many people walk in whose blood sugars were over 300. Now in the States, you'd be hospitalized, but here you're not, your body uh, becomes acclimated to being in this high blood sugar. We've had people with over 500 oh and, then, and then we do call Cruz Roja and we take them to the hospital um, or we have a doctor on call and he or she comes to the clinic. Um, but I remember when that happened, we had so many people over 300 and 400, the doctor that was working with us said, oh, it's mango season. You know, so mangoes, mangoes have the highest amount, one of the highest amount of sugars in terms of fruit. Fruit. Okay. Yeah, they're high glycemic. Sure. Um, so he said, when mango season's over and they become expensive again, uh, people's blood sugars will go down. So that's one of the things that we teach about in nutritional counseling. It's better to have low glycemic fruit. Like it's harder to get here, but like blueberries, mm-hmm. um, strawberries, all the berries are better. Mm-hmm. Um, but bananas and mangoes, high glycemic. Um, we teach them about whole grains because that's much better than processed food. Of course. Um, and we teach them about not, so you can buy Jamaica horchata, you know, in the bottle, it's um, concentrated. You can buy it at Super Aki or Shadrawi, and then you add water to it, but that's super high in sugar. Mm. Those bottles, you know, so we encourage people to make the hibiscus or the aguas frescas uh, from the natural material like hibiscus or coconut. You know, coconut milk from a coconut is going to be way better. Um, Oh, absolutely. Yeah, even in, um, I'm really careful about this because of my own history. Um, so when I go to Shadrawi, I look at, you know, the label and even like the almond milk and the coconut milk and the rice milk, many of them are very high in sugar. Yeah, um, you have to look for that sin azúcar. Right, sin azúcar, and they have a lot of corn syrup. 
And actually, it's just recently, it's, it's really since the diabetes epidemic has been acknowledged as a public health issue in Mexico, that you'll see on every food, every carton, every bottle, it will say excess, excess azucar, <laughs> excess sugar, excess fat, excess sodium. But Karen, the problem is, I think it's on everything. I mean, literally, like you go in the grocery store, it's hard. So I'm wondering, like, do they get desensitized to it? You know, but it's, it's scary that it's on everything. Yeah, it's, it's that. It's it's really not on everything. If you look like I can find a brand of almond milk that has no sugar added whatsoever. Sure. But I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying it does take effort because that label is everywhere. Right. Um, when you're, you're walking in the store. Right. And there's also not a lot of um, eating of vegetables. So it's basically carbs and fruit, mm-hmm. cola. So, you know, I mean, tacos, tamales, they're great, but, you know, roast some peppers and zucchini and add that to your diet. Um, you know. Yeah. And I, I know, you know, us too, you know, even just le- living here the first year, like, you know, it's easy to have guacamole and chips and, you know, just get into these, these habits um, that aren't good uh, eating, especially guac- if you're eating out a lot. Right. Right. But- the guacamole actually is great because it's a healthy fat. So that's yeah. the other thing you teach them about healthy fats, like, gua- like um, avocado oil, olive oil versus Lard. I mean, a lot of people here still use what we used to call Frisco, right? Lard to make their tortillas, Mm. make their pasteles, to make their postres, their dessert. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's also education to teach them what the healthy fats are. And so, how is that going? I mean, do you do you feel like you're making progress in that department? I mean, what you know, like they say here, poco poco, little by little. Um, I'm always, um, impressed. I mean, you know, um, the, the clinic has a golf cart and on, on the side, it says, you know, our, our name, uh, pro, club pro paciente diabeticos. So that's our Mexican nonprofit. And, um, it's a club diabetic club for diabetics. So, you know, that kind of makes it a little more normalizes it a bit. And people will stop me on the street and say, Oh, you know, I'm out of strips. Do you have any strips? And, um, uh, you know, sometimes people knock at my door because they know where I live or they come, they just show up at the clinic. uh, And if Giovanni's there, then, you know, he sees them. Um, I think there's more awareness that people die from complications of diabetes. Um, With COVID, you know, if you had comorbidity diabetes, you were at a much higher risk. Many of the people who died in the first round of mm-hmm. were diabetics. Yes, I heard that. I, I thought it was obesity, but it was really diabetes. We had a, actually one of our uh, guests that that's been here multiple years in a row was an ER doctor in uh, North Carolina. And that's what he said. He said, you know, uh, diabetes was the, the big killer with COVID. Right. And that kind of surprised us because we had heard so much about the obesity. Obviously they go hand in hand, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're, so many people here, you know, I, I can't stress enough, Don, that there's so many people who are undiagnosed. So maybe they got COVID, they had no idea they were diabetics. Right. Um, you know, there's a certain amount of stigma. There's certainly denial. People don't want to change their lifestyle. 
Um, it's tough, and that's true everywhere. That's true in the states. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. How but are there they? Doing- is, there is one thing. So, for people that are listening, for their friends here, um, it's called in Spanish "acandizos." I think I said it right. Um, people of color have a pigmentation, dark pigmentation around their necks, the folds in their neck, when they're uh, pre-diabetic. Really? Yeah. So this is true in our country, too, with Latino people, all people of color, African-American people, um, Asian people. If there's a pigmentation and discoloration around your neck, it probably means that you're either on your way or are diabetic. Wow. Interesting visual. Yeah. So if I see if one of our, um, you know, uh, guys helping with some of the building in our house, if I see that ring without being too intrusive, I'll say, you know, is there a family history? I've tested workers right here in the house, put my gloves on, do a simple blood test. Um, you know, it's really all about education and having testing available. And then the most important thing is having meters and strips so that you can manage your own illness. Yeah. Before before what used to happen is they would have to be, they would only get tested for diabetes when they did intravenous blood work. You don't need to do that. It's just a simple blood stick. That's right. How about uh, education in the schools? Is there any sort of nutrition, any effort to to kind of get them when they're they're young? I mean, obviously they're they're growing up in in a household that has habits and and what have you. But um, is there any sort of initiative like that? We haven't done anything, okay. um, so I can't really address that. Um, we see very few kids, um, but when we do see kids, so we see some type one diabetics, but very few. Um, but if we see a family where there's clearly a family history of obesity, then we educate the parents because the parents are the people preparing the food for the kids. Yeah. Yeah. But if you ask, you know, when I say to a new patient, ¿Qué comiste para desayuna? What did you eat for breakfast? Usually it's Coca-Cola y pan dulce or chocolate, a hot chocolate y pan dulce. It, 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 people here don't drink coffee kind of for breakfast the way we do. Sure. They, they drink Coke. That's how they get their caffeine. Yeah. And pan dulce and the sweet bread. Mm. Yeah. If you had a magic wand and could like do say one thing to have an impact, what, what, what do you think would be the, the biggest impact that could be made? Can well, to really have all of the healthcare systems um, have the necessary uh, supplies to test people universally. You think that's the that's yeah. the so if they come in for any other issues, whether it's the ER or a physical or help heart palpitations or uh, you know a sprained ankle or a broken foot that they're tested. Yeah. And then, of course, education, nutritional education, diabetes education, and then free and accessible. In our country, insurance completely 100% covers meters and strips. Yeah. Here, get them in their hands, get those tools in their hands. Yeah, get the tools so they can manage their illness. Yeah. 
Well, great. Wow. Doing amazing work and uh, so needed. So, so needed. Um, yeah. So if any of your listeners are, are people that come uh, to Isla, which I'm assuming most of your listeners are, um, feel free to contact me. We have a Facebook page. It's called Isla Diabetes Clinic. Uh, we have a website, uh, which is www.islodiabetesclinic. Um, you can make donations. I'll give a little pitch uh, through the website or through PayPal, me, Isla Diabetes Clinic, um, or just uh, go to your local uh, drugstore or Amazon and bring down 100 strips. You know, that will be enough for a patient for maybe sick one patient for six months. Yeah. Um, and just message me and I'll come pick it up or Giovanni will come pick it up. If I'm not here. Um, and we really appreciate we've gotten a lot of support from the non-Mexican community. So yes, I've seen that. That's been very. Um, yeah, especially the business community. They've been very generous at donating uh, restaurant gift certificates, snorkeling, uh, sunset cruises, things like that, accommodations. So we thank all the businesses that support us too. And of course we tell them, send their employees uh, yes. to us. Um, and that's the other thing. If anybody's listening, you know, ask your camarista, ask the people helping you to live here um, and send them. They can sign up through Isla Diabetes Clinic Facebook page, send you the message. I'll get an automatic message back to register. And then we'll make an appointment with you to come into the clinic. It's a very easy process right now. Wonderful. All right. Well, thank you, Karen, for the great work that you're doing. And uh, we will make sure that everything gets posted so people can give you a hand with that. Great. Yeah. Yeah. If you can post the website, it'd be great. Or Or the diabetes page, too. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. This episode of the Overseas Life Redesign podcast was brought to you by our sponsors. Thanks for tuning in. Did you love this episode of the Overseas Life Redesign podcast? Then please subscribe to our show and leave us a nice review. It's very much appreciated. We invite you to visit paradisechecklist.com and download our free Paradise Checklist to start your journey. We'd also love for you to become part of our Claim Your Dream Life community. Thank you for listening.